Amy, we've got a bunch of little nieces and nephews between us, but we've also got a catch-all gift that all of our siblings love for their newborns. You're totally right, and it's Pampers Swaddlers, because Pampers Swaddlers wick wetness away to keep babies drier and subsequently parents happier. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better versus the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance. They're hypoallergenic and they're free of parabens and latex. Now you can try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes won't tear. In fact, they grip mess, shall we say, more firmly and clean better, leaving baby skin dry, soft, and smooth. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers Cash has no cash value. At some point, we received a wedding invitation addressed to the two of us. And I was like, we have got to break up and start seeing other people. What fresh hell. Laughing in the face of motherhood. Oh my gosh, this latte is fantastic. Should we go ride the tractor and pick apples for tonight's tart? Or should we get some beers and stroll the corn maze? With Margaret Abel's and Amy Wilson. I am the person left on the planet who did not see the Barbie movie. A podcast that solves today's parenting dilemmas so you don't have to. Love your kids, but don't talk about them all the time. Hello, everyone, and welcome to What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. This is Margaret. And this is Amy. And this week, we are talking about our relationships with friends without kids. I can talk about this. You know, Joni Mitchell, she's seen the world from both sides now. Yes. I was at least 10 years a friend without kids before I had kids because I had my first kid at 37. Your friends were like disappearing into the land of children without you? Yeah, I mean, my best friend had a child when we were 18. And so I always had her in my life with a kid, although it was a little bit different because it was sort of like the kid came with us versus, you know, everything shut down for the kid. But then, yeah, I mean, throughout my 30s, everyone I knew had kids and I was the friend without kids. Uh-huh. All right. So there was an article in New York Magazine. It was the cover story, When One Friend Has a Baby and the Other Doesn't by Allison P. Davis. It's definitely worth looking at. So I'm putting the link in the show notes. And I thought like it, that inspired this sort of episode response to this. So Allison P. Davis, she wrote a great article. She is the friend without kids in this equation. And she... If I have any any sort of criticism about it, it's that she sort of imagines what it must be like. She does it in a very funny way. We'll unpack it, like the point of view of the friend with the kids and the point of view of the friend without the kids. And of course, how you're just completely missing each other. But some of the things that she assumes like a friend with the kids is thinking, or I think to me, like not quite accurate or like she's kind of missing it. It's not a she said, she said kind of thing. It's a one said and imagine what the other one said. It's here's why this is a problem, right? So here's a quote. This isn't from Allison, but it is from one of the women that she does quote in the article. More than marriage, more than a new job, more than moving across the country, I think there is nothing that represents more of a challenge or a threat to adult friendships than parenthood. That's a throwing the gauntlet down kind of statement. Mm, I think that's probably true, although marriage is kind of a big one too. I guess it's another step on that same road. I think definitely when you're 
bestie who you do everything with. I mean, my sister and I were basically common law married for like four years. We lived together. At some point, we received a wedding invitation addressed to the two of us. And I was like, (laughs) we have got to break up and start seeing other people because we are like maiden aunts is an expression in Irish families, the maiden aunts. And in fact, growing up, we would have family social events and the maiden aunts would dance together. Yeah, you reminded me of my tweet tweet grandmother, Mary Connor Wilson. She had two friends, lifelong friends, Peg and Stacia. And so I'm laughing at myself thinking you're Peg and Stacia. Yeah, that were inseparable throughout their lives because no kids came along to ruin it. We were Peg and Stacia. I think at 34, when I got the wedding invitation addressed to the two of us, like Ms. Margaret and Ms. Anne on the same line. <laughs> I'm about this. I really, a cold chill went through my body and I thought, oh my, this is a mistake. Also, we have the perspective of so much later. So my kids are 15, 19, and 20. So, I mean, I remember going through this. I remember being the friend who was sort of left behind when people had started having kids. I remember being the friend who was leaving somebody else behind. But what this quote sort of leaves out, nothing represents more of a challenge or threat to adult friendships than parenthood. Also, almost nothing presents a greater possibility for finding the people who will become some of the greatest friends of your life than parenthood. It's from being a parent that I've met most of the people that I'm closest to now. Yeah, that's right. And I also think that marriage, what I was saying with my sister is she got married before I did. And it was a big hurdle too. I mean, it definitely like, then we ended up having kids close together. So that changed the dynamic. But marriage is a big one. I mean, you go from being like girl besties and then someone gets married and A, do you or don't like the person? Hopefully you do, but maybe, yeah. And I mean, I do, by the way, like my sister's husband. That's not what I'm trying to imply. (laughs) Let's be clear. But um, this was a long game. Seven years of a podcast to get to it. (laughs) Yeah, this was a long game to subtweet my sister's husband and be like, I don't like you, dude. You stole my wife from me. Yeah, I think this it's a little hard to pinpoint. Things change and lots of changes are hard. Yes. Okay, so I'll give you a study. We'll start with a study. This is something we can't argue with. This was, I think, parents and Denmark. Always those parents in Denmark who seem so... They're always doing it with their... They're just so... Balanced and rational. They've always got their babies out in the snow and yeah. Yeah, right. Babies in the snow, happiness, check. They're good. So anyway, these parents were asked how having a baby impacted their personal relationships and they reported across the board, the people in the study, yes, the strength and quality of their friendships typically decreased. Most of the quality degradation, this is their language, not mine, occurs around when the child is three, which is interesting. You would think it would be sooner. Well, the baby is like, yeah, strap the baby on and go. Right. Unless you had a newborn like mine who was like colicky and awful bit. And and I did try to pretend that everything was the same and would have to leave restaurants after 15 minutes because he was, you know, screaming and red faced. But the babies who sleep. Yeah, we have a common friend, Amy, who would constantly arrive to dinner at the bar with the baby. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it took a little while to be like, we're not still doing everything exactly the same. Yes, yes. The issue, it's one thing when they're newborns and they will sleep anywhere, some newborns. But yeah, like the two year old, just like on an airplane, I think like Six month old on an airplane, no problem. Yeah, that's right. 18 month old on an airplane, uh oh, like, want to get down. We got a situation. We have a situation. So that's when it starts to take a dip. This is saying three, which I thought was interesting because by then they're in preschool, maybe a couple mornings a week. But when kids are around five, the study suggested 
parents could start engaging with friends again. So the study was presented as sort of like, so it's only a five-year thing. And I'm like, yep, you're forgetting something. Sure. Then there's another baby. Then you start over again with another kid. And of course, it's leaving out that there are some parents for whom the age of five isn't a magical, they're in school all day and their needs and demands on my time have dropped to after 3 p.m. and before 7 p.m., right? There's That finish line is not there for every parenting situation. Right, and this, the schedules are so different. I mean, I was like a comic and a person who went to see bands that started at 11 p.m. <laughs> when I was still single. Like, I am having... And you don't go back to that. Yeah. That's the issue, right? Like, I could go to a band that started at 11 p.m. Now I could, but I, I wouldn't. I'm too old to do it, I guess. It's not possible. I mean, first of all, I'm too old, but like I also have to be up at seven and we're having a little group outing with some girlfriends of mine tonight, all of whom have kids. And it's at 630 and I'm dreading it. Like I'll have a good time when I go, but I have to put on hard pants and I don't know, do something. Thank God I already had to brush my hair for the podcast. But I mean... Hard pants are, are, they are a trial. My oldest kid, and this was well before the pandemic, used to say he would only wear soft pants. I mean, when he was like barely putting words together, soft pants was one of his very first phrases. Essential. Soft pants. Well, we've already started texting and being like, I'm in pajamas, nobody dress up. And I think that it's so much more complicated than a baby. It's, It's that everything changes. And also fundamentally, your priorities change. Like my sister... And I, when we were living together in common law wives, we were each other's for that time, number one person. Then she got married and I became her number two person, but she was still my number one person. Resentments abound. You know, it doesn't turn out that great. Yes. There's just, it's not really like, do you have a baby? Do you have to be up early? It's a big glob of stuff that comes in when your life circumstances change and someone you've had a very close relationship with life circumstances do not change. That's such a good point. And let's talk about some of the reasons that this sort of happens and plays out, because of course, it's going to, it's probably kind of unavoidable. But that was one of the things that this New York Magazine article, I'll quote Alison Davis here, she said, there's a realization, a slow realization, she argues, right? It's like a, a slow burn, that two lives, which were more or less plodding along a similar path, are about to diverge. But as you said, they're going to diverge because one of you, the one who's having a baby, your life is going to be completely turned upside down. And the other one, you know, her April is going to be kind of like her March, right? That she's, <laughs> she's moving on a path that's like, you're the one who's taking the exit off the highway, like, no, I'm over here. That's right. I think it's probably not it would be hard for the person who's on the same path not to feel left behind. Like, what are you doing? Where are you going? Well, it reminds me, you know, the spoon theory of like kids who struggle, how many spoons you have. It kind of applies. How many spoons you have in a day? You only have 12 spoons you can use, right? And like taking a shower if you have chronic pain might take like three of your spoons for the day. So then you can't also meet your friend for dinner. Right. Okay. Spoon theory. That's right. And I think that this spoon theory, I don't want to co-opt it because it's about something very specific, but it kind of has the same thing that like you and I are best girlfriends, right? We each have 12 spoons. To go out for a night together takes like six. And then to call each other the next day and gossip about what happened takes three. And then to call each other later in the day to re-talk about what happened takes three. You, I get married and have a baby. I now, 
I'm using up like 11 spoons just to get through the day. And you still have 12 to use on me, right? It just, it's, it's a mismatch. And the thing about the spoon theory, it's so interesting. I'll find a link and put it in here because it, it's very illuminating. So you have those 12 spoons in a day, right? And it's your cousin's wedding. You're bringing your, you know, toddler to your cousin's wedding because she's the flower girl in it. And you have 12 spoons a day and your kid maybe has 12 spoons a day. And you're going to stay up late and you're, daughter maybe skipped her nap. It's worth it. It's your cousin's wedding. You love your cousin. But in order to get through that day, you have to borrow some of tomorrow's spoons. Like you actually need 16 spoons to get through this Saturday. So that means you've only got six left tomorrow. So you might not also be able to go to the morning after brunch because your kid is going to be like melting down by that point having slept in a hotel for two months, spinning out a very specific and long example. But in order to get enough spoons to get through what somebody wants you to do with them, you might be borrowing from tomorrow's spoons. And you can only do that for so long, whether you're a person with chronic illness or a person with a demanding toddler. You can't just keep doing it forever. Yeah. And we've all been in that situation where we're annoyed at the person who is making the baby the The center of attention. Right. Their nap schedule. Right. Right. Central figure at the wedding. Right? Like, oh my God, well, the baby's nap schedule is this and that. And you're sort of like, oh, shut up. Like, I'm trying to get married here. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But at the same time, I think most of us have been that person who's like, okay, if you want me to be at the pictures and the first dance and this, I got to figure out what I'm doing with my kids because, like, I'm not going to show up somewhere and be in trouble. But I'm also sort of in trouble for talking too much about my kids and their needs. Right. What was the quote from the Barbie movie? America Ferrara said, love your kids, but don't talk about them all the time. (laughs) I mean, I didn't see the Barbie movie because I am like the only person. I am the person left on the planet who did not see the Barbie movie. Had a busy summer. I was like, I I got no. Keep it up. Keep it up. At this point, just, well, you know, you would have enjoyed it. I've read a lot of the Barbie think pieces, but I haven't seen the Barbie movie. America Ferrara has this great monologue towards the end of the movie about what it's like to be a woman. And it is like totally consciousness raising for the masses. And it's basically like, you know, do this, but not this. Do this, but not this. All the things that are asked of us as of women. And the one that really hit the bullseye for me was like, love your kids, but don't talk about them all the time. Nobody wants to hear it. Well, and not for nothing, I don't want to talk about other people's kids. Like, I do find that a big barrier to some friendships. And I'm not that interested in talking about, to me, when I'm out, I'm away from my kids. I mean, if someone's having a specific problem and we're trying to figure it out, I'm okay with it. But I don't really like talking about other people's kids, like what team they made and who's doing what and is the curriculum in this class? Do we think it's challenging enough? I mean, I do find those conversations extremely, extremely challenging. Well, nobody else loves your baby as much as you do, right? Not even a little bit. I don't. It's like people's dogs. I'm like, I'm good. I don't need to see a picture of your dog. But from the point of view of the new mom, right? Like, this is what I have. Yeah, I didn't go to Coachella. I'm sorry. Like... <laughs> I also, by the way, did not go to Coachella. All I have to talk about is teething. (laughs) All right. I think we should take a break. When we come back, let's talk about like the way the one side views the other because it's pretty funny. Margaret, I've got a go-to baby shower gift that I give whenever there's another newborn in my life. Can you guess what it is? Amy, three guesses. First two don't count. It's Pampers Swaddlers. 
Exactly. Pampers Swaddlers keep baby skin dry, happy, and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers absorb wetness better than the leading value brand and provide up to 100% leak-proof skin protection and up to 0% skin irritation. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologist-approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Try Swaddlers with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes for healthy baby skin. These wipes are five times stronger, gripping mess more firmly, shall we say? say, and making diaper changes a breeze. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Then redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Only redeemable via Pampers Club. Pampers cash has no cash value. Amy, you know me well enough to know that my daily power breakfast is... Toast with peanut butter on top. Toast with peanut butter. It's also, by the way, one of my favorite power breakfasts. So we agree on that thing. We were recently together and we shared some toast with peanut butter. And I'm going to tell you, we used Hero Bread. It adds even more protein and fiber to that combo without adding any more sugar. Hero Bread has remade the carby, empty calorie bread products into versions that include no net carbs, zero gram sugar, and fewer calories, plus more protein and fiber while still being super fluffy and delicious. I was not sure that that particular combination was going to be possible, but Hero Bread has figured it out. Yeah, this is one I'm glad they let us try. It's like, it really tastes good. I've been trying to add more protein to my diet, and I would have thought that a hamburger rolls was not the place to do that, Amy. <laughs> but all of Hero Bread's products, from rolls to tortillas to croissants, we please, offer protein and fiber, zero to one grams of net carbs, and zero grams of sugar. Start your Hero Bread bundle on their website and get 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use the code motherhood at checkout. I like this bread, people. It's H-E-R-O dot C-O and code motherhood for 10% off your order of Hero Bread. Margaret, I've been at the research again, looking into metabolic health and more importantly, metabolic flexibility, which turns out is the key to improved energy levels, better sleep, better fitness, all the things. And I found out about all this because we got a chance to try Lumen, the first handheld device that helps you manage your metabolic health. Lumen works when you breathe into it. If you do that first thing in the morning or after a workout, Lumen measures your metabolism by measuring the amount of carbon dioxide in your breath. It's science, people. That lets you see exactly what's going on in your body in real time. Then you use Lumen's app to get tailored guidance to improve your sleep, your nutrition, even stress management. If you're interested in figuring out the effects of different sorts of foods on your body, Lumen is a really cool way to see what's actually happening as your body burns different fuel sources. If you want to take the next step in improving your health, go to lumen.me and use Fresh to get $100 off your Lumen. That is L-U-M-E-N dot M-E, lumen.me, and use the code FRESH at checkout for $100 off. Thank you, Lumen, for sponsoring this episode. Okay, so we're talking about friends without kids. Allison Davis wrote the article, and I thought this was very funny. She sort of set up how parents see people without kids, who she calls pwoks, P-W-O-Ks, and how pwoks? friends without kids see pwicks, people with kids. All right, so let's start with how parents, I'm saying we very collectively, parents tend to see our friends without kids. We see that they're living a an extravagant life free of responsibility and obligation. I've totally done this. I have a very old friend. 
I mean, a very long-term friend. She's the same age as me. Known her since high school. She's not a parent. Was telling me about some fun things she did over the weekend. And I definitely was like, oh, must be nice. Must be nice to have your weekends to yourself to do what you want. I said something like that. And she was like, I work two jobs. Like, do you, do you really think I'm not busy? My life is actually very busy. And I made some joke like, well, let me have my fantasies. But, you know, it was true that I was in that moment perceiving her and letting her know that I perceived her as somebody with oceans of time. Right relative to me of course at the time I had like three kids under five like I might have even been right but I definitely thought I was right let's put it that way the people without kids are grumpy about life's inconveniences even though their life is totally completely easy compared to whatever you're dealing with at the time yeah I get it I'm not saying we're right I'm saying that's a perception right no 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 I get it right how dare you complain it must be nice is the whole this whole category is must be nice Right. Like there's a story in the article about like traveling, like going away to a, an Airbnb for the weekend, you know, one couple with two little kids and one couple that doesn't have kids and the couple with two little kids, their kids didn't sleep in the hotel, the Airbnb, whatever it was, crying this up since 530. Right. And then like the friends, the pox the people without kids, like wander downstairs at 915 and say like these pillows weren't very comfortable. And their friends are like, must be nice to only care about a pillow. Right. I've been up since 530. Have you been there? Can you relate? Yeah. I've been on both sides. You've been on both sides. There are two sides. I mean, I've been on both sides and it's very annoying. Also, we have to acknowledge in this conversation, as it was with me, there's lots of different reasons why people don't have kids. So like the whole like must be nice thing is also a little dicey. Like I was 35 and single and spent a lot of my time crying about the fact that I was not going to have kids because I was 36 and single. And... I was really depressed by that reality and it was really upsetting. And so like every time I had a drink for people to be like, must be nice. I'm like, actually, it's not that nice. I, I'm kind of in mourning. Thanks. Stop assuming, you know, like what's going on in my head. Yeah, we went away for the weekend once when I was going through infertility treatments. We went away with two other couples, both of whom had babies that they brought. And I was down for that. I knew like I loved the babies. And then both of them, as soon as we got there, were like, guess what? They were both pregnant with their second children. And I was like, I, I'm going to bed. Like, I can't, like, we couldn't leave. We had sort of driven too far to just take off. But I just, like, I could not participate in that. And yeah, so it's very dicey to be the must be nice to be you who has nothing to worry about. But I've done it. I've done it without meaning to. And I've thought it for sure. Yeah. I think that there's a, you look back on your former life. Like, where was the life that late I led, right? That I used to have be so carefree. I used to be able to go to brunch on Sundays. And you look back on that. And of course, you're jealous of that. And so then you start to think that people who still get to have that are somehow entitled when they just made different choices. You resent it. Yeah, you resent it. I remember where I lived. I had three kids under five. We lived in Los Angeles. There was a strip in um, Culver City. And it was a bunch of outdoor restaurants. And it was near where I had to go to the grocery store. And sometimes I would go out to the grocery store at like one in the afternoon. And I would just look at these people eating and drinking in an outdoor restaurant. And I would just become consumed with like, who are they? How are they here? Like, I think that you get very myopic when you have little kids and you're stuck at home. And any other reality just seems so foreign to you. And so, of course, when you hear about people who are like, you know what, we just decided on a whim to go away for the weekend. We jumped on a plane. We went to the airport. We got the first. You're like, 
you are speaking to me from literal Mars. Like I could never, ever relate to what you're saying right now. And I think it can be hard to not take the must be nice posture. And it can also be hard not to take the like, we know you have a baby posture, you know, of like, Right. Well, should we move to that, to the how quicks are reviewed? Are, are seen? Yes, we know you have a baby. Of course, there's a sense of people who don't have kids are like, you have a baby, like whatever. One, it's not that interesting or fascinating. Two, it can't really be as all encompassing. Like, Right. Yeah, that's exactly it. And it, it, come on, it's not actually that hard. He goes to bed at seven, right? Like he changed the diapers a couple of times. There's often that sort of judgment, like you're making it seem like this huge thing. Right. You're the first person on earth to ever have a baby. Yes. That's right. Yes. Whereas, right, from your point of view, it's like, I'm exhausted. I'm overwhelmed. Nobody told me how hard mastitis would be. I have nobody to talk to. And you're my friend, right? And that's, I need help right now. And here's what I have to talk about. And the author of the article sort of made it like, the person wants to talk about mastitis so they get seen and understood. I'm like, kind of. They also want to talk about mastitis because it's actually really hard and you're struggling with it right now and you need to talk to somebody. And it's the only thing that's happening. Right, right. And it's the only thing that's happening. But back to how annoying we are, people with kids. We can't talk about movies, only about how we wish we had time to see them. Some people are too busy to see Barbie because they have kids. Uh, I haven't seen the Barbie movie. <laughs> I have children. That for people without kids, that their friends do take a turn. This is sort of taking the other side of this before I was saying like the friend who was a baby like gets off the highway and goes in this totally other direction and is suddenly evolving in another way while this person who didn't have a kid is going to stay kind of the same as they were last month. Now, now I'm taking sort of the other side of that. But that person gets to evolve as a person and grow and self-actualize and think about what they want to be in their career and, you know, and all kinds of things that you, person who's up five times a night, doesn't think about for three to five years per kid. So we're not, we get less interesting. Yeah. And I think that it is, honestly, the one thing I would say, having not had kids for 36 years and then having had kids, is that the level of consumption, how consuming it is, plus how much anxiety you have for your own kids. I remember when I was, oh, I mean, my whole life, I had an aunt who had, I think, four kids and was pregnant with her fifth, and her husband died of a heart attack, at which point she had four boys by herself and was pregnant with her girl, who she then had. I've heard that story my whole life. And I'm like, oh, yeah, that's her story. Whatever. And then... Whatever you do, you got to do. I right. had a kid. And I was like, why don't we have a statue to that woman in our driveway? Only ever talk about her. Right. Like, how could I have ever heard that story and been like, uh-huh. Anyway, you know, you hear something bad, it hard that happens to someone else. And you're like, oh, yeah, that does sound hard. And then like, it happens to you. And you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You have no idea how hard this was. And I do think it's very difficult to be empathetic to people who've had this experience that is very different than your own. Now, most people who are listening who don't have kids would probably be like, no, no, I can empathize to the person going through that. That sounds really hard. But I think the visceral, terrifying reality of it is hard to really get inside. In the same way that it's also kind of hard to relate to other people's experiences like it's a story for you what happens to other people 
Yes. Okay. So the comments on this article, I read some of those. Would you agree? Sometimes comments are even better than the article or at least as good. Mm, rarely, but sometimes. Yes. I think, I mean, half of them are garbage and then half of them are like, I actually think this and their comment is like, well, that's a whole other article and that's fascinating. So somebody named Elijah, who does not have kids, commented on this article and he said that as a child-free person, by choice, that he's speaking for the trees, but I'm, I'm just saying what Elijah said, that he's saying that people who don't have kids can feel sometimes somewhat alienated with their friends who have kids in witnessing their relationship with those kids, he says, because we see our friends' kids as being really spoiled in terms of like progressive shifts in, in parenting, gentle parenting. If the kid speaks, the whole table stops and listens to what the kid's going to say. It's a very different from the way some of us were raised. And so he says, if you don't have kids, your only frame of reference is like, I wouldn't have gone away with that with when I was growing up. And there is a perception of inequality that can make the whole thing sort of not fun to be around. Meaning I have to accommodate everything for you because you have kids. I had to accommodate like this little flowers every right like standing on the table during dinner and it's like boring and part of it is driven by like I would never have gotten to do that and like what has happened to you that you're letting this kid just like take over that also happens with people with kids and their friends by the way sure like I do think like really different parenting styles is challenging yes but it's easy to be to make assumptions when you're outside it that I wouldn't stand for that or it wouldn't be that hard or whatever because you're so right. I don't want to go out to lunch and put up with somebody's kids standing on the table either. It doesn't really make me have, just because I've had kids doesn't make that more palatable to me. But it might have made it more palatable to me when I also had a three-year-old at least. It's like, oh, well, because then I could at least be like, well, somebody else's kid is being worse. Yeah, I guess maybe. (laughs) I guess maybe. The last thing was that there's this perception of that people with kids have or resentment that was expressed by people interviewed in the article is that there is this assumption that nothing has to change and you're going to be Auntie Margaret and you're going to come over and you're going to be with the baby and you're going to take care of the baby and you're going to watch her real quick where I, will I go get manicure? I don't know. And sometimes friends are like, it's definitely not part of our job description. It was not part of our friendship. Stop assuming and opting me into being, taking childcare responsibilities on. I don't want them. That's why I don't have kids. Yeah, I think that's right. And I do think that, I mean, I don't want to move to solutions in part two, Amy, but I do think that the shift of dynamic, as you say, so was. I was quoting you this very weekend to someone. The pain is in the gap. It was not original to you, I don't believe. I believe the Buddha said it first, but I'll take it. Somebody said it. Yeah, Dalai Lama, somebody. Okay. Well, so the Buddha (laughs) is really smart, but only as delivered by Amy Wilson. But I think that the assumption that nothing will change and that everything will stay the same either manifests in like, we're at a fancy, nice restaurant that we love to gather at and like talk nonsense and scream and carry on and drink fancy drinks and act like fools. And you've now brought a baby, which is kind of harshing the vibe. Or you will now adapt to a world where it's all just coming over to see me at my house because I couldn't possibly take the baby anywhere. The pain is in the gap of not acknowledging the change or just the more fundamental change. And this is why I argue that marriage is a big part of this. You and I talk on the phone, my sister and I back in the day, three hours a day, just talking about our problems shooting it, you know, talking about whatever's going on. We 
are each other's person to download the entire night before with. And now you have a husband. You did it already. You did it on the drive home last night. And I am kind of out in the cold of that experience. And A, I feel out on the cold of the experience. But B, when children come into play, I may not want in on that experience either. Like I have to opt in to the experience of like, I don't necessarily want our relationship to change from like Saturdays at the boozy brunch to Saturdays at the pumpkin patch running after your three-year-old. That may not be appealing to me. Like, so I get it. So I think all this stuff happens and it's completely natural. And I think what we should talk about next is sort of like, so is it a, this can't be fixed? Is it a, you know, don't worry, you're going to find friends with kids and you'll find a new bunch of friends afterwards? Oh, I have a lot to say in the solution category because I've been on both sides. We'll be back. If you like this show, there's a decent chance you'll also enjoy the Shameless Mom Academy. Hi, I'm Sarah Dean, the founder and host of the Shameless Mom Academy. The Shameless Mom Academy is a podcast for moms that centers moms more than it centers your kids. I'm not going to teach you how to make baby food or how to make your three-year-old or 13-year-old stop having tantrums. Instead, I'm going to bring you back to yourself. For the last 20 years, I've been helping moms through growth and transformation. Inside the Shameless Mom Academy, I help you identify who you are and who you are becoming. Look, motherhood is hard. It brought me to my knees many times and sometimes still does. Returning to who I am and who I am becoming allows me to decide how to show up in all those sticky motherhood moments, but also in all my other relationships and in all the ways I show up in my various communities. So come check out the Shameless Mom Academy wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm willing to bet you'll leave feeling a little inspired and maybe even completely fired up. And you'll probably laugh a few times because I promise we never take ourselves too seriously over here. With 700 episodes to choose from, you're likely going to find something that sparks and speaks to you inside the Shameless Mom Academy. No one told us the truth about parenthood. Why? This is the podcast everyone needed before they had kids because now that those little ones are here, whew, there is a lot to unpack. I'm Rachel Shepardota, and I am your host for the podcast, No One Told Us, where we tell the truth about parenting and let you in on all the stuff you really should have known about before having kids. I am the founder of Hey Sleepy Baby, but this podcast is so much more than sleep. We'll be diving into all the topics that you really care about and need to know while you do your best job raising those adorable, tidy humans. Our goal is to just make you feel less alone and less overwhelmed. There are so many things that no one tells us before becoming a parent, and I think that we should really pull back the curtain on becoming a first-time or second-time mom or dad to share the good, the bad, and the ugly. We'll have a little education, a little fun, and a whole lot of heart that goes into each and every episode. So join me and our amazing guests each week to hear us talk about what no one told us. And now, popular activities with kids and without kids. From the What Fresh Hell podcast. The Pumpkin Patch Without Kids. Oh my gosh, this latte is fantastic. Should we go ride the tractor and pick apples for tonight's tart? Or should we get some beers and stroll the corn maze? The Pumpkin Patch with Kids. Oh my god, will you help me push this wheelbarrow? These pumpkins are so freaking heavy. No, you can't have any more donuts. Stop crying and help me push! The Beach Without Kids. This book is riveting. Oh, don't tell anyone, but this cooler is full of margaritas. The beach with kids. Who still needs sunscreen? Yes, I will help you build a castle as soon as I finish burying your brother in this hand. Oh my God, where's Chandler? Someone call the lifeguard. Chandler's missing again. 
road trip without kids. Who needs a map? Let's just go where the road takes us. Ooh, is that an antiques shop? Ooh, let's stop. Road trip with kids. Google Maps says we are 56 minutes away, but I think we can make it in 55. Oh, God. Who barfed? Oh, okay. All right, we're pulling over. Halloween without kids. We don't really get trick-or-treaters, so I just, I can't really justify buying all our candy. Halloween with kids. Seven bags, baby, and I am not giving away the good stuff. This has been Popular Activities with Kids and Without Kids. From the What Fresh Hell podcast. All right, I'm coming in heavy. I am team people without kids, and I think that... People have to opt in to being involved with your kids. Yes, for sure. Your kids are not interesting to other people. I mean, they're just not. This is me. I'm not a, I mean, I have a parenting podcast. I have three kids. I have no interest in other people's kids. I mean, I love to see them. Like my little nieces and nephews, I'm like, look at how cute they are. But do I want to like sit in the corner and talk to them for three hours about how first grade is going? I do not. Mm, Okay. And... That is my right as a human being. That is my prerogative. Yes. So it's going to affect, and I, I have much more bandwidth and interest in kids and like, I, I am the one in the corner talking to the kids at the family party, but one's entitled. And I also, I'm on the other side of this. Like I was going to come in with like, guys, don't worry about it. What's missing from this article is that everybody who's interviewed, you know, this is painful and they've all gone through this in the last 36 months and some of my friendships before I had kids did not make the jump, and some did. And two decades later, I have other very deep, meaningful friendships that of people I hadn't even met yet when I had my first baby. So I was sort of like, it's going to be okay because I'm not sure this is fixable. It depends on the relationship. I think it's very much there are seasons, right? So there are seasons for friendships, and I think that I have good friends who I lost track with when I had little kids, who I'm refinding. I am a person, if you send your kid to college near me, I will go take them out to dinner. Like, I love to talk to a- A young person, yeah. 18-year-old. A young person, I love to go and lecture them and tell them all my wisdom they don't care about. (laughs) My favorite, love it. Give me your kid's number. That I love, and I'm interested in kids, but I really am annoyed by kids being the center of the room. That is how I was raised. Like kids are peripheral, adults are the center. Yes. Mommy's talking. Spoken. (laughs) We have adult talk time at my house. Adult talk time. Yes. Margaret used to have to look over the baby gate. She was not a baby at the time at her parents having adult talk time. Uh, stare in because it was adult talk time we were not allowed in the room it was adult talk time and now I have a little dinner club that I do and one of the couples does not have kids and they are as interested in my kids as they should be they come over the kids kind of make an appearance so long farewell right (laughs) right say hello yes can you believe it's in seventh grade and then, yes, there is no Von Trapp-style number to send them to bed. After about five minutes, I'm like, great appearance. It's adult talk time. Go away. Like, you are no longer welcome at this event. Now, if someone is clearly indicating like, oh, I heard that you have an amazing Lego collection. I want to go upstairs and see it. Help yourself. But anytime I sense that my kid is leading that drive, I'm like, we're calling it. 
They're not interested in your Legos. They're a 50-year-old. Like, I think that making, I guess because I was the single friend for a long time, I just have such a... Now, have I been the person sometimes at events where I'm like, uh, my kid really does need to be asleep at that time. It's not good for us. Like, yes, I probably have. And I was the first person on my husband's side to have kids. So I probably annoyed people by being like, but you don't know, people don't always understand how much trouble you're saving everybody by saying like, if we wait to have lunch in two, we're going to, it's going to be a nightmare. That's really not going to work for my 18 month old. Like you're not being selfish. You're being, you're actually thinking of everybody when you suggest 2 p.m. is too late to have lunch. Yeah. And I've probably pulled that card out of like, I have kids, so we need to do it my way. Like I'm sure I have played that card too often in my day. I will admit that I have probably overplayed that hand because sometimes you're just like, mm hmm annoyed and want things your way, you know, guilty as charged. But I think that you have to verbalize this stuff a lot. We did another episode about friends without kids and my friend Candace Fight was the guest. And she and I had a really funny talk about like why people have kids. She has no kids by choice, never wanted kids and is married, no kids. And I guess she and her wife both decided like kids are not for us. They don't have kids. So she's kid interested, but not in her home life. And we were going through the list of like, okay, what's the benefits of having kids versus the benefits of not having kids? And I had found a list and it said the benefits are like, you know, companionship, blah, 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 blah. A lot of those things, like someone to take care of you when you're old, like no guarantees there, you know, who knows what's going to happen. But the thing that we got stuck on and we were really laughing about is one of the pro having kids, the final pro having kids was full human experience. That like the idea was like kids express somehow a fundamental full human experience of like biology, the realities of childbirth, if you're having your own kid biologically. Sure. I mean, we're certainly wired to want those things or else we'd die out. Yeah. And like, I do think that there is a piece of having children that is does represent somehow this like very human experience and you're having it. And then I was joking with Candy about how that's why when she and her wife were out to brunch and drinking mimosas, I would drive by and scream, you're not having the full human experience. Like, it's not exactly that one makes up for the other. You know, it's not like brunch is good, but it's not the full human experience. They're different things that you can't put them on a scale. You can't put like no kids versus kids. There's no way to balance those scales. Right. But does that mean that for certain friendships, I mean, I guess I'm going to say like for certain friendships, I think they are going to change after you have kids. And that's okay. That doesn't mean those people weren't as good friends as the people who stay friends with you. That the person who just really doesn't want to come over and see how much your baby has grown is less of a good friend than the person who is interested in your kids. It's just like friendships morph and change, I guess I'm thinking, and some aren't going to make the jump, but it doesn't make the people who are less interested in your kids lesser friends for being that sort of human being. Well, I think that the place where that I'm trying to carve out is that the definition of a good friend as someone who is super interested in your kid is 
dangerous and faulty that like it's a flawed right oh amy you've been there for every single experience of mine and therefore you should want to be part of my experience of having this child and be super invested in that kid and super interested like that's not true at all it's like if I said, Amy and I, you and I are best friends. Now meet my friend Sue. She's also now going to be your best friend. It's like, well, what? I didn't sign up for Sue. I signed up for you. And I think that the key is maybe having conversations about the gap versus letting us define of like, oh my God, I used to like Amy, but now she's all about her kid and she's really annoying. Right. Well, and if you are that Either that person is like, oh, all she talks about is her kids, or the person is like, God, I can't believe Tanya like never calls me to check in, never, you know, I definitely had that perspective at the time. Like, why does this person not care? And again, because they are less wired that way. And also, I was having a pretty difficult experience. And there are some people who just really weren't down for that, which doesn't mean they're bad people, which also doesn't mean you'll never be friends with them again, I suppose. I mean, you're, you can process your hurt feelings about it, but the person who's not into playing with your toddler could be somebody you're going to reconnect with 10 years later. I just think it's maybe not fixable in the short term. And that's totally okay. Yeah, I just I kind of reject the idea that someone who is not, I mean, a friend who's really not there for you in a hard time, you could have feelings about but I think an expectation that a friend should seamlessly now fit themselves wherever they fit in your new life with kids is insane. And I think that that's a bad expectation. Yeah. I'm thinking of a time a couple of years ago, I had a kid who was sick a lot and on an unpredictable schedule. Like there would be good days and bad days. And I had a friend, have a friend who I was seeing a lot of theater with. I live in New York City. So we'd make theater dates to go like, I'll be your theater date. I'll go see stuff. But I canceled the last second, like three or four times because I couldn't, I thought I could go and I couldn't go. And I don't really go see either theater with that friend anymore because I've got to rebuild back the trust like oh things are better now I won't do that because from where that person was standing I was being flaky right and I have an example that has nothing to do with kids but I have a friend who does not have kids who took a new job and it's extremely demanding and it's in an industry that is very unpredictable and she now will often say I want to see you I want to make plans but just for full visibility, about 50% of the time, I have to cancel plans. So can we make a dinner plan in October with the understanding that there's only a 50% chance it will happen? And I'm like, yes, we can make that plan. And I will take that. I will take that deal. You know, I will open that suitcase. <laughs> and it has happened many times that we've seen each other. And sometimes it doesn't work out and, you know, it doesn't happen. And so I'll say like, well, and sometimes it happens that I'm already there and it cancels. And it's like, but we had the conversation about like, this is the reality of my life now. And I think that I think the biggest problem is that we skip that conversation. It's like, well, they should just understand that I'm in this tough situation. And I think you have to allow people to opt into your situation, no matter how challenging and realistic that situation seems to you and how overwhelming it seems to you, I think you have to be able to say, I'm in a situation right now where the reality of my life looks like this. Now, could I say like, you know, if my friend really liked me, she would tell her job, she can't do it. Like, I think it's just easier to say like, this is the reality of what's going on with me now. Mm -hmm. And it's a season. It's not forever. 
my husband had a friend tell him we were like in the craziness of like bath time and you know just the craziness of three little children and this older guy at work said to him like you're in the lost decade and he was like what it's like it's the lost decade it's about a decade like you'll come out of it and he was telling my husband that in terms of like you'll refind your way to your spouse again like you guys are just running the daycare it's a lost decade and I think it's true. And I also think it's true for friendships that again, like so many of these people in the article were, are still smarting from the hurt feelings of the fresh wounds. My friends who don't have kids are going out now and not even inviting me, making the assumption I won't be able to come anyway. And when I totally would have, and that's really hurtful. Like, yeah. Hurt feelings and fresh wounds and what's going to happen now. And, um, you know, just the, just the perspective of like, yeah, it can be hard and it doesn't make it the other person wrong. They have different feelings than you. Amy, I just landed on my thought of the year, and it applies completely here. My thought of the year is that my brother told me, he's a lawyer, if you don't tell a jury something, they fill it in for themselves. And like, it fits here again. Like, if you don't say to someone, I would say to somebody, listen, I have a kid going through it right now. I have three kids under four. Do me a favor. Will you always invite me? And just understand that for probably the next two years, I'll say no to everything. But leave me on the list. I've said that to so many people. I'm like, leave me on your list. This year is looking real bad for me. You know, I've got a sick parent. I've got this going on. Please don't stop inviting me because I, first of all, want to know you're doing it. And it sounds fun to think about it. And also, I want to be there when I'm able to come back. But I think that the best we can do is like give voice to. And I also think you have to be able to say to people, without hurting your feelings. Like, I would love you to come, but it's child-free. Yeah. Like, I actually don't want your five-year-old there. Not because I'm a bad person who hates your adorable five-year-old, but because this isn't a child-friendly event. And so I would love to see you, but I for sure don't want to see your six-year-old. So if that hurts your feelings, people, I'm not your friend anymore. Or if you can't afford the $25 an hour babysitter, then okay, right. Nobody's a bad person in that story because two things can be true. Nobody's a bad person in that story. Agree. Mm -hmm. We solved it. As usual, we solved it. This will never be a problem again. Solved it. There will never be conflict (laughs) between the child full and the child free again. Do you subscribe to our newsletter? There's a link in the show notes for this episode right where you're listening. Sign up for our newsletter because we every month put down stuff that we're reading and listening to and watching that we don't talk about on the podcast. We link to some of our favorite episodes. You can find out what else we're doing and where else you can catch up with us live. Check that out and we will talk to you next time. Thanks so much for listening. So long, everybody. Margaret, it's an exciting news day. An exciting news day indeed, Amy. A few years ago, we launched our first spinoff podcast, Toddler Purgatory, hosted by the hilarious Blair Brooks and Molly Lloyd. And guess what? Now, Blair and Molly are back with their all-new podcast, Unsticking It. You know Blair and Molly as two busy moms and actors, and somewhere between potty training and the pandemic, they both felt like they lost their creative kaboom. In their new podcast, Unsticking It, they are going to talk about how all of us can get back to what lights us up after motherhood. Amy, I need this. Me too. And Blair and Molly will be talking to fellow imaginative minds. We're talking actors, artists, and creators of all kinds about how we can all unstick ourselves from whatever muck we're stuck in. Follow, subscribe, and listen to Unsticking It wherever you get your podcasts. That's Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life stucks. 
Hi there, I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts.